Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Randy Carver. He is the president and founder of Carver Financial Services, based in Mentor, Ohio, and is the author of a new book called Ultimate Vacation, The Definitive Guide to Living Well Today and Retiring Well Tomorrow. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Randy. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. Just tell us your story briefly and how you got from where you were into being in the financial services industry and then why you thought it was necessary to write this book. You know, it's it's interesting because I got into the industry almost by accident while going to college. One of the ways I paid for school was actually trading securities. I had, uh, had a number of businesses prior to that. I invited a guest speaker in who worked for a regional firm and essentially convinced me I should get into the financial services business. But what I found was it was very investment centric as opposed to based on what people really needed or wanted. And so ultimately in 1990, we set up our own firm. But throughout the years, again, we found a lot of people were almost afraid of planning for retirement because it was such a daunting task. It was just overwhelming. So the purpose of the book really is to help people start thinking about retirement a little bit of a different way and understand you can actually live well today and still prepare for the future. So let's kind of take a broad look at people's preparation for retirement today. Um, we got a lot of population. Some are prepared, some are not. But in the clients you see, are most people pretty well ready when they hit 65 or 70 to retire, or are most people not not ready? I think a lot of people that we see are, but again, it's a select group. Um, they're typically coming to our office because they have some wealth that they, they need managed. But I think the majority of people that, that don't uh, necessarily have an advisor or have not saved, it may be more of an issue. And, and quite frankly, the thing that we've seen more and more is people kind of plan based on their parents' experience. You know, it used to be people worked till 65 or 66 and they passed away at about 70. And now people want to retire at 55 and they never die. So people are retired a lot longer and they're doing a lot more. And that just takes a lot more planning. So what are some of the common misconceptions about planning for retirement that you're dealing with all the time? Um, that, that's a really great question. I think that the biggest or one of them is that you've got to sacrifice so much today to save for the future. On the other side, I think the people kind of view retirement as the finish line, whereas really it's, it's when you pass away. And so I don't think people are considering how long they're going to live or how much it'll cost in retirement. Um, a lot of the people that we've dealt with for the last 20 years, once they retire, they actually spend more money than when they were working. And yet there seems to be a general sense that once you retire, you'll use less. But the fact is you're doing something all day. And as I said, people are doing a lot more in retirement because they're living longer and that they're just healthier. 
So, what are they spending money on in retirement that they're not spending money on during their working years? You know, a lot of people it's travel, but certainly it's it's leisure time activities. Eating out um, is a big one. People find themselves eating out more once they're retired when they were working. And then as people get older, they're hiring people to do things they may have done themselves. Um, but certainly, probably the biggest expense in retirement that's not so much discretionary, it's just the cost of medical, because again, people are living so long. Now, in your book, you kind of compare retirement planning to vacation planning, and you say people spend more time planning for vacations than for retirement. How is that possible? Retirement's going to last 20, 30, 40 years. A vacation is one or two weeks. It's, it's an ironic statistic, but it's been true for a number of years. Um, when you look at how much time people spend either doing with their 401k or planning in general, it's, it's much less in hours than they do spend planning for retirement. And again, I think there are a couple factors. One is it uh, for some people, it just seems so far away they don't have a sense of urgency. I think for some people, the whole thought just so overwhelming, they procrastinate somewhat. And then again, there's a group that feels, hey, I need to do all these things today, and therefore I can't afford to do it. And that's really the the idea behind the book, that really, it's not that complicated, and you can afford to do it, but you just have to break it down into kind of manageable terms. So the point of your book and and your practice is that you don't have to sacrifice that much today during your working life in order to have a decent retirement, because that's the common perception, is you have to kind of have a very uh, aesthetic life during your working life in order to have a decent retirement. You say in a certain way, you can have your cake and eat it too, is that right? Absolutely, within reason, of course. But yes, I I believe that's true. And then the, the other group, I think it's important to look at are people that are retired, and you know, how do you manage those assets and then pass them on? Because it's interesting that, and not, not to be overly redundant, but because people are living so long, what's happening is people may retire and the assets continue to grow, but at some point, the expenses overtake the returns and they drop off pretty precipitously. And I think that's one of the reasons just anecdotally, you know, when you go out, you see a lot of older folks working a lot of jobs that traditionally were, you know, jobs for kids or entry level types of things. And just because they need the, the extra money. Yeah. So give us some sense of the statistics of people getting to retirement age. You have a lot of baby boomers now hitting 65 and 70. Uh, how many are getting to retirement uh, with a decent amount of savings? some savings, no savings, just give us a sense of the, the land, kind of the it's, landscape. It's kind of amazing because about, on average, about 56% of Americans have less than $10,000 saved total. You know, the other 44% have various degrees, but people are grossly unprepared. Um, and I think the government realizes this. In fact, just last Tuesday in, in, what may have been the biggest bipartisan move in three years, the House passed what's called the SECURE Act. The Senate passed it on Thursday, and the President just signed it uh, last Friday. And it basically encourages people to save for retirement. 
it raises the required minimum distribution age. And it, there's about 29 provisions. But clearly, this is something that's on the radar um, of the government, as well as individuals. And I think this, this act actually is the biggest change to retirement legislation since the 2006 Pension Protection Act. And it really got lost in a lot of the noise um, that's happening currently. So let's go to specifics a little bit. What are some of the uh, provisions of the SECURE Act that people who either are retired or planning for retirement can take advantage of now that it's become law? Wonderful question. The first thing is it raises the age at which you have to take distributions from age 70 and a half to age 72, uh, which gives you a couple more years to accumulate. The other thing is for employers, it raises the amount that they can defer automatically for employees. So a lot of people don't understand, but a lot of 401k plans now will literally sign you up when you take your job um, unless you actively opt out. So in the past you had to opt in, now you have to opt out. One of the big things though, which can be construed as a negative is that if a non-spouse inherits the IRA, they must get the money out within 10 years. So prior to Friday, if your children or nieces, nephews, whomever inherited your IRA, they could defer it over their lifetimes. That's no longer possible. Um, the last thing that's kind of interesting, it's a minor thing, you could take out $5,000 penalty free for the birth of a child or the adoption of a child. So kind of a side note. Um, the, the other thing they're encouraging is going to let small businesses band together to do a 401k to help defer the cost. So if you're a small business, instead of having to have your own, you'll be able to work with other businesses and kind of form a group 401k. And lastly, it encourages adding annuities to 401k plans, which, which can provide a pension for people. So um, very, very interesting. Let's talk about that small business one briefly. So how is that going to work? You have a lot of small businesses with less than 50 employees. They're going to have to get together or are fund sponsors like a Fidelity or Vanguard going to go to them and offer them a plan uh, with cheaper fees than they would otherwise get? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and obviously this whole thing's only been out 72 hours, but it looks like it'll be the latter that the plan, various providers will go out and offer these things um, to groups of small businesses, as opposed to the businesses kind of banding together. And then on the uh, having to spend down the IRA over 10 years, are people going to have to do, in effect, like required minimum distributions over those 10 years? They have to take it all at once, or how is that going to work? It's going to work kind of like annuities now. If a non-spouse inherits an annuity, they have to take it out within five years. You can take any amount each year, but it all has to come out within the five years. This will be the same thing. You can take any amount it looks like each year, but it has to be fully depleted within the, the full 10-year period. And when it's taken out, it's taxable, is what you're saying? It is, at the beneficiary's rate. How, how about if it's a Roth IRA? Then it would be tax-free, but they do still have to take the money out. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. 
This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Randy Carver. Uh, he is president and founder of Carver Financial Services, a financial planning firm based in Mentor, Ohio. He is the author of a new book called Ultimate Vacation, The Definitive Guide to Living Well Today and Retiring Well Tomorrow. You can find out more about him at his website, carverfinancialservices.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, Decide that you have something to say and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Randy Carver, president and founder of Carver Financial Services, a financial planning planning firm based in Mentor, Ohio. Uh, His website is carverfinancialservices.com and his new book, it's called Ultimate Vacation, The Definitive Guide to Living Well Today and Retiring Well Tomorrow. Welcome back to the show, Randy. Thanks, Jordan. So you begin calling retirement the vacation of a lifetime, basically. And so we're going to try to take that vacation of a lifetime. The, the first part is kind of summing up where you are now. What are some of the steps people need to do in planning for retirement to see where they stand today, wherever that may be along the, the path towards retirement? Yes, I, I think... You know, this is maybe one of the hardest part, can I be pretty honest, about what you're really spending. And I think a lot of people don't know necessarily what their assets are 
or what their expenses are. One of the things to, to look at is just look at your tax return and figure out how much you saved. The tax return shows what you made. The difference is what it costs you to live, which is generally a much bigger number than when people try to write things down because you're going to miss things like wedding gifts or the furnace that died or the expense for the car. So first and foremost, just figure out what does it really cost you to live today and what are your assets? So, so where are you? Because that's going to be the basis as you look to where you're going. One of the specific, throughout the book, you have what you call avoiding costly road hazards. And in this first chapter, you talk about long-term care. How should people prepare for that? Are most people going to end up needing long-term care insurance? Yeah, it's not that they'll need long-term care insurance. It's that they will um, need some form of long-term care. That the latest statistics I've seen, it's about 70% of individuals will need some form of long-term care at some point. And again, this is a byproduct of people living longer and doing more. So long-term care does not necessarily mean being in a nursing home. It can mean physical therapy at home. It can mean a home health care aid. But it's, it's one of the largest unfunded expenses people face. And especially when you have a couple, if something happens to one of them, it could certainly eat up a lot of assets that would otherwise be needed for their spouse. And so, really, for many people, the best way to protect against that is some form of long-term care insurance. And there are different types of insurance we could get into, but basically it's a risk that that we feel is important to insure against. It's gotten very expensive lately. Premiums for long-term care insurance have gone up a lot, and a lot of companies have dropped out of that market. What do you think about buying it today when the prices are going to be much higher than they were a few years ago? You know, that's a great question. Um, There there are really two types of long-term care insurance. There are traditional insurance, which is like car insurance. You pay every year, and in theory, they could raise the premiums. And if you don't use it, the money's gone. The other type of long-term care insurance that's gaining more popularity is what's called life long-term care insurance, which is essentially a life insurance policy that you can use for long-term care. If you don't use the death benefit, when you pass away, it goes to your heirs income tax-free. The advantage of that is the premiums don't change. They can't go up on you. Uh, Moreover, they're not really gonna deny a claim for long-term care, because if they don't pay the long-term care, they're gonna pay when you pass away. Now that type of insurance can be purchased either with a single lump sum or annual payments. But in either case, the premium is fixed, which I think is, you're absolutely right. Long-term care premiums have been going up and a lot of carriers have exited the market. This really addresses that. That being said, long-term care insurance is more expensive now than it was five years ago, but I think it's gonna be that much more expensive five years from now. So probably better to look at it sooner rather than later. Yeah. So again, seeing where you are today, you talk about budgeting being a lost art. How can people recover the lost art of budgeting? You know, it's a good question. I think people a lot of times live in the instant gratification mode where they just buy stuff, put it on a credit card, and then figure it out. I think really 
try to define ahead of time, so proactively as opposed to reactively, what are you spending? And then, then manage that. Hey, it gives you a good way to budget for saving, but, but equally important, it gives you an idea what it may cost you to live in the future. So if we don't know today, it's very hard to estimate how much you're going to need when you retire. Your next chapter is on debt, what your debt situation is. What's the difference between good debt and bad debt? You know, generally, I think good debts, when you borrow money for something that's going to appreciate, like a home, bad debt is when you borrow money for something that's going to depreciate, like clothes or dining out or a vehicle. Um, but using credit, you know, we've all heard the term other people's money. Using credit properly can help leverage your returns because if you can borrow, you know, at two or three percent and make more than that on your investments, that then you're going to benefit. But managing debt responsibly is is critical uh, as far as that goes. We always say there's a trade-off, a push and a pull between debt and savings. I mean, today, you were in a very low return, 1% or less on savings, yet the debt costs a lot more. So if you have cash flow, why does it not make sense to put it all towards paying down the debt instead of putting in savings where you're earning so little? I would agree with that 100%. I think if you're sitting on cash and you have debt, um, for the most part, it should be paid down. Now, the other consideration would be investing that cash into something that has more growth or income potential than what your debt is costing you. We, we always feel that people should have at least six months of living expenses in cash or cash equivalents. So again, it comes back to the idea that you need to know how much your expenses are so you can have that emergency reserve. But beyond that, then it is a question of, do I invest the money or do I pay off debt? And I think largely it depends on how much the debt's costing and what type of debt it is. Certainly, things like credit cards should, should almost always be paid off, whereas making an extra payment on your home probably does not make sense. Yeah. Now, your, your specific, unique uh, way of financial planning is what you call personal vision planning. You've got a whole part of the book on that. Describe right. what personal vision planning is and how it's different from the way other people do financial planning. I think a lot of financial planning is investment centric. It's looking at investment saying, this is how much you could have to do what you want to do. Uh, this is how much you could make. Personal vision planning turns it around, says, what is it that you want to do? What's your vision for the future? And then let's figure out how we can achieve that vision. And again, just like a trip, that, that vision is our ultimate destination. Now, once we begin that journey, it may take longer, it may take less time, but at least we know where we're going. The vision planning process starts with understanding what the vision is. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people don't really know specifically what their vision for the future is. They may have some idea that, hey, I want to retire or perhaps even, I want to retire when I'm 60, but they really don't know what that looks like. You know, what does the vacation look like? What are you going to see? What are you going to do? So we spend a lot of time trying to help people define what that retirement's going to look like and then 
working backwards, here's what we need to do to achieve that vision. What are some of the elements of the vision that you help people? Is it where they're going to live, what they're going to do, where they're going to travel? What, what are some of the things that you have people visualize? Because you say it may hard, be hard for people to, to create that kind of vision. Yes, I, th- I think that's a great question. I mean, ultimately, it depends on each person. But all of the things that you discussed fall into that. So I think when we talk to someone, you know, the first question is, what, what do you envision? And often they don't know. So that's a question of when do you want to retire? What types of things do you think you want to do? Where do you want to do them? And then what's, what's really important to you personally? What, what gives you some satisfaction? Maybe it's spending more time with family. Maybe it's traveling. Maybe it's that you want to pass assets on or you have some philanthropic goals. Um, but really finding that passion, I think, is the key to success with this. Because then the money will fall into place once we know what we're trying to do. A lot of people think they're going to move in retirement or at least downsize. You've had a lot of experience with this. Is that generally a good idea if they leave, say, a northern place and go to Florida or Texas or downsize to a smaller place? Does that normally work out well? Great question. Um, The thing that normally does not work out well is trying to have two houses because it's very expensive. Relocating in a lot of cases can, but just like everything we're talking about, I think it's important to have an idea um, of really what you want. So generally, if someone says to us, you know, we're thinking of moving to Texas or Florida or Las Vegas, we recommend that they rent for a year and really feel it out before they make that commitment. Um, Now, often, even when people downsize physically, it does not necessarily cut the expenses proportionately because everything costs more. And a move is certainly not an inexpensive thing. So what are some of the things that they should look for to know if, okay, rent in a place for a year before you go there is good, but what else should they decide whether it's a good idea to move altogether or even downsize? Say they have a house where they brought up some kids and they don't need all that room anymore. Uh, what should some of the factors they should look at to see if they should downsize or move? Well, again, that, I think there's two sides to this. One is psychological and one is financial. One thing we've seen that's a little bit ironic is people will move to be near their kids and then the kids move because their job changes. So chasing people around the country may not be the best thing. But I think, you know, the downsizing decision is if we leave the home we're in, are we really going to save anything financially? And then if the answer is yes, is it what we really want to do? Because a lot of times if someone's just downsizing locally, there may not be the savings they they think. On the other hand, if someone says, I really want to get out of the cold of Ohio and move to Florida or move to California, then then I think renting to live there for a period of time is, is makes a lot of sense before you sell. The other thing is if someone's lived in a home for 30 or 40 years, it's, it's a pretty major undertaking to, to just clean it out and logistically do this. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Randy Carver. He is president and founder of Carver Financial Services based in Mentor, Ohio. You can find out more at his website, carverfinancialservices.com. His new book is called Ultimate Vacation, 
The Definitive Guide to Living Well Today and Retiring Well Tomorrow. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, 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 investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Randy Carver, president and founder of Carver Financial Services based in Mentor, Ohio, author of the new book, Ultimate Vacation, the definitive guide to living well today and retiring well tomorrow. Welcome back to the show, Randy. Thanks, Jordan. Tell some people uh, what they can find out at CarverFinancialServices.com. The website will give them an idea about what personal vision planning is and some background on us, uh, some of the third-party recognitions, and really the process that, that they can go through either on their own or with us. The, the book, really something that they can use on their own or with their trusted advisor. And the best way to look at the book is on Amazon.com. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about planning for retirement. Now you've got a section, what will you do when you arrive? So when people have retired, say they haven't really thought about it, they've been working all these li- their lives and they're uh, pushed out either voluntarily or involuntarily, what is the state of mind they should be in at that point when they've gotten to retirement? I think that it depends if it's a sudden thing or if they have some time to think about it. But really the most important thing is one, to, to really think about what's important to them personally as far as maybe it's spending more time with family, maybe it's traveling or whatever it happens to be and then starting to design their life around that 
you know, we hear the phrase, living life by design, not by default. And there's something really to be said for that. I think, you know, one of the hardest things we see is somebody that's worked for 20, 30, 40 years. They've gotten up every day. Um, and all of a sudden, they don't have something to get up to. That that can be a very tough thing uh, to the point where it can even manifest itself physically and lead to some illness and, and just problems. They're really having a vision of what's important. Even if the first step is spending their day figuring out what they want the future to be, it gives them something to do. One thing you've commented on is the so-called FIRE movement, the Financial Independence Retire Early movement. We yes. have quite a few guests from the FIRE movement on the Money Answer Show this year. And basically they're saying, scrimp during your working years, have a very austere life, uh, save and invest and make your money grow, and you're able to retire much earlier than your 50s or 60s. What, what do you think in general of the FIRE movement? I, I just, you know, quite frankly, I think for most people, it's not going to work. And for those that do, the question, do you want to live an austere life kind of forever, or would you rather work a little bit longer, but live the way you want to? And again, I think one of the problems with the FIRE movement is it assumes that the people can live on less than they are in most cases. And also, I don't think it considers the longevity. You know, even if someone works to be 60, they may be retired longer than they worked. So the FIRE movement says you typically need to save between 50 and 75% of your income when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, or 20s and 30s. Most people just can't do that. So I, I think it's an interesting idea. I think the positive is at least people are thinking about retirement um, and they find ways to minimize their expenses and maybe boost their income. But I think as a practical matter, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And ironically, it seems like most of the people that discuss the fire movement are actually continuing to work. So, um, And they're working promoting the fire movement. Exactly. They're selling programs or speaking or books. So they're working. Um, they haven't actually done what they're talking about. Yes. You have a whole chapter on what you call, can you insure your trip and go through the various kinds of insurance. So let's start with life insurance. Uh, what are the pros and cons of term insurance versus various kinds of cash value insurance? Term insurance generally is cheap, um, much less expensive, you know, but it doesn't build cash. It's kind of like car insurance. When it's done, it's done. But the other types, whether it's universal life or whole life, while they may build cash, that they're more expensive. And quite frankly, from our standpoint, if you're buying life insurance for life insurance, you're probably better off doing term and then investing the difference as opposed to doing a hybrid. I think the bigger question though is, do you need the insurance or not? In a lot of cases, people that are older have insurance that in our opinion, they just don't need. Uh, whereas when you're younger, I think if you have younger kids, you have a mortgage, those types of things, it's important to insure against an untimely death. But once you retire, you probably don't need the insurance. Amongst the various kinds of cash value policies, uh, if you want to have your cash value grow the, must, the most, 
do you recommend universal life or variable or index universal? What What is the best way to go? I mean, obviously there's more risk, but the best way if you want the growth potential would be variable universal life. And so you, you then pick the options. It's kind of like a 401k where you have different stock and bond options within yes. that policy. So you think yes, that's you or your advisor would pick the sub accounts. And then now, as we said, retirement and say you built up a good amount of cash value, how do you get the cash value out to live in retirement? Do you annuitize it? Do you borrow it out? How do you take the money out if you've built up a good it, amount of cash value? It can be any, any of those things. And <clears throat> frankly, it depends on the individual circumstances. One, you can transfer life insurance to an annuity and then get a, a payment stream virtually forever. But um, you're locked into that. Two, you could take the money out, in which case it could be taxable. Or what some people do is they borrow against the policy, and then when they pass away, the death benefit pays off that loan. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and we talked about it in the last segment, is there are now life insurance policies that have long-term care benefits. And that can be a very interesting hybrid so that when you're younger, you have the insurance uh, for kids or a mortgage. As you get older, it would then provide potential benefits for long-term care. You also talk about disability insurance. People say, well, I get disability insurance through Social Security. My employer has a disability insurance. Why do I need to buy it separately? And you may or may not. Those are good points. The definition of Social Security disability, however, means that you virtually can't do anything. Um, you can't do any job. And so it's very hard to qualify. Plus, it, it takes a while to kick in. So often through an employer, you can get either short-term disability that would kick in after 90 days or 60 days, uh, whereas long-term sometimes doesn't kick in for a year. Um, but if you're strictly tied to your employer's policy and you change employment, you may lose that coverage. So if an employer offers it, that's certainly the first thing to look at. If not, then it's worth looking at on your own. And I think that's where a trusted advisor can really help see what the options are and if they make sense for you. And then you have a section on health insurance. So people, a lot of people joining Medicare these days as they get retired. Are you concerned about, at all about the future of Medicare and how might it change as the baby boom retires? Well, Medicare has a lot of issues. In fact, while people have focused on the demise of Social Security, you know, based on the numbers we've seen, Social Security is going to be around for a few decades, whereas Medicare is running out of money. Um, there are a couple implications to that. One is there are a number of doctors that just aren't taking it anymore. So your choice could be limited. But I, I do think there's going to be problems with Medicare. And certainly the government's been tweaking reimbursements. They're talking about raising the premiums for employees to try to keep it solvent. Regardless of what happens with Medicare, I think the key there is to have a really good Medicare supplement that, that fits what you need to do. And working with a consultant can help match the type of supplement that's best for you. What, what should you look for in a Medicare supplement? You know, the, the, certainly the deductibles and what it covers. It's interesting that all supplements by law 
have to be identical for the same A, B, C, D, etc. But the premiums are different and some of the nuance nuances are different. So I think it really depends. If you're somebody that takes a lot of prescriptions and sees the doctor a lot, that may be different than somebody that takes no prescriptions and can look at a different type of plan, whether it's Medicare Advantage or more of a scaled back plan. So you said Medicare is in trouble, basically. More, more trouble, at least sooner, than Social Security. What do you think is going to happen to Medicare? Are the politicians going to make major reforms in it or just kind of uh, twi- twick it a little bit? You know, it's very difficult to answer that, but they say Social Security and entitlements are the third rail of politics because they just don't want to talk about it. I, I do think that they're going to have to continue to tweak it, but most likely it'll be on the people that are working They'll, they'll raise the Medicare tax. Um, and they have increased what you pay. They, they've made it based upon income now, where the higher your income in retirement, the higher your premiums are. I think that'll continue to get adjusted. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Randy Carver, president and founder of Carver Financial Services. You can see more about him at his website, carverfinancialservices.com. And also his new book is on Amazon, Ultimate Vacation, The Definitive Guide to Living Well Today and Retiring Well Tomorrow. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Randy Carver. He's an expert on retirement planning. His book is called Ultimate Vacation, The Definitive Guide to Living Well Today and Retiring Well Tomorrow. You can see more about him at his website, carverfinancialservices.com. Welcome back to the show, Randy. Thanks, Jordan. You have a whole section on creating, generating income during retirement. Now, today, if people keep their money in a money market fund or CD or even bonds, they're going to be yielding very low uh, amounts. What are some other ways to generate more significant income? Let's first do uh, traded securities and then maybe, I guess you'd call it side hustles. Sure. I think it's an interesting opportunity because there are a lot of equity investments that have growth potential, but also spin out income that's equal to or greater than what bonds are paying. Now, certainly, 
there'll be more volatility. But if you're dealing with a pooled equity investment, such as a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund, that certainly mitigates a lot of the, the absolute risk. So if someone just needs income, they don't need the money currently, those types of investments can not only provide growth potential on the principal, but they can also provide the potential for rising income over time. Let's get specific there. For example, with ETFs, what are some specific kind of ETFs you would like for income? You know, there are, I mean, you get very specific, um, like a Vanguard BYM, iShares HTV. So they're buying dividend bank stocks and spinning out income. On a global basis, Wisdom Tree has a focus on this, or whether you're looking at small company, mid company, or international, you can see dividends of three to four to five percent um, in terms of current yield. And then how about mutual funds in addition to ETFs? You know, on the fund side, the, the difference is it's actively managed, whereas the ETF, they're holding it. And therefore, the mutual fund will have higher internal expenses. We believe that if you're buying a bond fund or international, having that active management can add value. But certainly on the fund side, there's there's a lot of different funds that would provide income and or growth potential out there. Um, one big difference though, and it's certainly this time of year very noticeable, is the mutual funds may distribute capital gains at the end of the year, whether you've made money or not. And therefore you could be subject to income tax. Whereas the ETFs, they're generally no distributed capital gains um, until you sell them. So for a non-IRA account, the ETFs may be a better choice in, in some cases. Well, there's some cases where you'd buy individual stocks, such as real estate investment trusts or master limited partnerships or business development companies instead of uh, pooled investments? You know, in very rare cases, we might look at some REITs. Generally, for our clients, they're more concerned about protecting what they have than taking more risk. So I guess they're more afraid of being poor than trying to get rich quick. And therefore, we tend to do very few individual securities of any type. And then how about some uh, ways that people could generate money in retirement through uh, using their expertise, what I would call side hustles? Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is sometimes that's great. Sometimes I think you have to be careful that if something's super fun, that you turn it into a job and it's not that much fun. We had a client that loved fishing and decided to become a charter captain, and uh, they don't love fishing so much anymore. But um, we had that client, for example, that love golf, and they'll go work as a ranger so they get to play for free during the week. Um, we've had a number of clients become Uber drivers and Lyft drivers just because they like talking to people. But I think finding something you enjoy. Um, the other thing is we, we've had clients take jobs in retirement just for the benefits. In other words, people that retired prior to 65, before they qualify for Medicare, medical insurance can be one of the, the biggest expenses. And if you can reduce your expenses, it's essentially the same as putting money in your pocket. Did you say owning them directly? Well, I was saying buying properties as for rental income in retirement. Is that a good idea? 
I, I think it depends on the situation. Generally speaking, um, I would say no. There, there's risk. There's a lot of work. And anymore, people are so litigious. Um, we've seen a number of kind of nightmare situations with tenants that I think unless it's something you have some expertise in, that, that I would tend to stay away from that. We talked about Medicare and Social Security a little bit. Tell me about the future of Social Security. I mean, people who are working now, what should they expect when they retire in 10 or 20 years? You know, I, I think Social Security is going to be solvent. Again, they raised, people don't remember, but but in Reagan's time, they raised the Social Security age. But they did it for 20 years down the road. I think ultimately they may do a couple of things. One is they may raise the full retirement age for Social Security. But politically speaking, it's going to be 20, 30 years from now. So I don't think people have much to be concerned with there. And then the second issue is um, how much they tax Social Security. There's been a lot of discussion of changing that. And I think you may see some moves there because politically, I think it's more expedient to argue somebody with a lot of income doesn't necessarily need all the Social Security or they can afford to pay the tax. You have a chapter at the end called, How Do You Hire the Best Guide for Your Journey? So what are some things people should look for in hiring the right kind of financial advisor to go through this whole process? I think in a lot of ways, it's like hiring a surgeon. Some of it's going to be just a gut feeling of someone you like, you trust, and they can answer your questions. You're not going to know everything they know, and you're certainly not going to know what the outcome is going to be until after the fact. But looking at somebody and see if you have that gut feeling, I think is the first step. You know, as far as finding somebody, the types of questions are, what is their client retention? You know, how long do clients stay with them? What do they specialize in, if anything? How much assets do they manage? You know, certainly someone with a larger pool may have some economies of scale. And then what are their credentials? Uh, and then finally, are there any third party kind of validation for what they're saying as far as recognitions or awards or again, credentials in the industry? You end by saying we nag because we care. So you should expect your financial planner to nag you and that's a good thing? I think it is because again, it's, it's very easy for things to fall by the wayside. And, and you know, the most important things are usually the most difficult. So a good financial advisor should not be there to tell you what you want to hear, that they need to be there to tell you what's best for you, which could be difficult conversations like you're spending too much money or you better wait a year or two to retire. But certainly, I think something that's absolutely critical is that you're meeting with your advisor at least twice a year. And if the advisor's not reaching out to do that, then somebody should consider another advisor. Because the only way an advisor can understand what's important to you and what's changing is by having that conversation. And I think, you know, certainly as we go forward, there's a lot of talk about robo-advisors and online types of things. And there's certainly a place for some of that. I don't think it replaces having that conversation with someone that understands what your needs are and that can give you advice specifically for you based on what's happening in the world. 
in the two minutes or so we have left, kind of want to summarize what difference it'll make in people's lives if they take your advice and plan for retirement like a vacation and do all the steps we've done as opposed to the way a lot of people handle planning for retirement. You know, I think it's, it's a couple of things, not the least of which is just peace of mind, that if you know things are going to be okay, you, you can really enjoy life more if you're constantly worried about running out of money or not having the funds to do what you want to do. And so I think the biggest thing is it just removes that question mark uh, for down the road. And I, I think also once you understand that the process isn't as overwhelming as, as some people think, it makes it much easier to get started, just, just like you plan that vacation. And the more specific you get, I think the more productive it's going to be. Very good. And as you say, you don't have to uh, sacrifice as much as you might think in your current life in order to enjoy a good retirement later. You can kind of have your cake and eat it, too. Yes, sir. Well, very much. I appreciate it. My guest this hour has been Randy Carver. Uh, He is the founder and president at Carver Financial Services based in Mentor, Ohio. You can find out more at his website, carverfinancialservices.com, and take a look at his book on Amazon, which is called Ultimate Vacation, the definitive guide to living well today and retiring well tomorrow. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Randy. Thanks, Jordan. Have a great day. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with a special year-end edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.